seated. But today, I'll be honest, today is one of my most favorite scriptures describing in the life of Elijah. Today, I'd like to preach a sermon I entitled Showdown on Mount Carmel. And in this sermon, we shall see Elijah stand all alone against the false prophets of Baal and Asherah. And we can learn some excellent lessons from Elijah's example, including the difference one person can make. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I'm truly grateful for the opportunity to preach this sermon, to preach on Elijah, to preach on what he encountered and dealt with on Mount Carmel. And to realize, Lord, as we study through this scripture, that one person with you on their side can truly make a big difference. That's exactly what happened with Elijah. So I ask, Lord, for your blessings upon us. Help us to have ears that will hear the sermon this morning and help us, Lord, to be encouraged by what we see with Elijah, the things that he did, the things he stood for for you. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a story told of a man who was soloed skydiving for the very first time. And he had taken all the lessons, and now it was time for his first solo jump. He leapt out of the plane, and as he was falling, he panicked, and he couldn't remember how to open his parachute. As he was falling rapidly to the earth, he suddenly encountered another guy who was going up in the opposite direction. And seizing the opportunity... He shouted, hey, buddy, do you know how to work a parachute? And the guy who was going up shouted, no, do you know how to light a propane uh, stove? <laughs> see, throughout the Bible, we see that God has chosen fire to be a symbol of his presence. And as we will see today, God is going to reveal himself in an amazing way through fire. And today we will see that no one knew how to start a fire like Elijah. Today we will see how his courageous, this courageous prophet stood all alone against the false prophets of Baal and Asherah. And as God's people today, we find ourselves standing against the current of culture, both secular and religious. Will we have the courage to stand strong and stand alone if necessary? That's one of the things we want to learn how to do from Elijah today. In quick review, let's see what leads up to the showdown at Mount Carmel. God sent his prophet Elijah to King Ahab to announce that as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And then God told Elijah to hide himself by the, uh, the brook at Cherith. Well, then the brook at Cherith dried up, and God sent Elijah to a widow's home in Zarephath. And in both those places, Elijah had to trust God completely, and God never failed to provide what Elijah needed. And months and years passed as the earth dried up in the drought. Now think about it. We don't know how long Elijah was at Cherith, but eventually the brook dried up. And God sent him to Zarephath. Now some might think he was only, surely he was only in Zarephath a short period of time. But no, 
it seems that he was there for some time because by the time Elijah gets back to Ahab, it's three, over three years. So the widow of Zarephath took good care of Elijah all that time. And remember what God promised. Her jar of oil would never run dry and her flower vat would never go uh, empty. And sure enough, God kept that promise. And as once in years passed, Ahab searched Israel and the surrounding nations looking for Elijah, but the prophet could not be found. Now, how many of you think if God wanted Elijah found, Ahab would have found him? <laughs> wasn't the case. God didn't want him found because Elijah was trusting God and waiting for God to show him the next step. And that next step is where we begin today in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. Now it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of the, his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face. And he said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. I love that, because I can't help but think these words. Would you tell him, Elijah's in the building. He don't have to look anymore. I'm here. I came to you. And he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? I can honestly say I don't necessarily blame Obadiah here. Because if Jezebel has had all the other uh, prophets killed, what's going to save Obadiah? And now Elijah said, You go up to the king and tell him I'm here. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt you down. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here? And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab that he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord for my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord that what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Finally, after three long years, God spoke to his servant and sent him back to King Ahab. 
And the encounter between Elijah and Ahab must have been something to behold. Remember, Elijah was the most wanted man in the land because he had predicted the drought and controlled it. Remember, though, it's by God's hand. The land was devastated by the drought, which caused a widespread famine. You've seen pictures of drought-stricken times and places, and they're not pretty. And We've had our bouts with dry weather here in north-central Florida. But you can imagine three years without rain. And Elijah has stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with King Ahab before. Now, after three years and some intense training, God has brought his prophet to stand before Ahab once again, and Elijah has some bold words to share with the king. And it all comes down to this. Elijah is going to let Ahab know about his sin. That his sin brought this famine to the land. Now I can guarantee you right now, whenever you point out someone's sin, they are not going to take it with a smile on their face and throw you a party. This is going to be a confrontation, a great confrontation, because that's the very first step we're going to see. This great confrontation between Ahab and Elijah. And verse 17 continues, It happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O trouble of Israel? Is that you, O troubler? You scoundrel! Now there are occasions when this Hebrew word is used to mean a viper or a snake. So in other words, Ahab was saying, is that you, you sorry snake in the grass? Look out there! This is all your fault! You troubler of Israel. You see, Ahab left no doubt about who he felt uh, caused all this, how he felt about Elijah. He believed Elijah was responsible for all the trouble in the land. So King Ahab approached Elijah with fire in his eyes and he spit out his condemnation, you troubler of Israel. Do you ever meet someone who everything that's going on in their life, all the troubles they're having, it has to be your fault or somebody else's fault. But you know what? They're going to blame somebody. It can't possibly be that the troubles they're having are their fault. Now think of the courage required by Elijah to go to Ahab. He knew he was a wanted man, yet none of this seemed to faze Elijah. He was not intimidated. On the contrary, he had the audacity to shift the blame back to where it belonged. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house. Have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Isn't it interesting? Four times, three times he used the word you, once your, the personal pronoun. It's your fault, Ahab. Now I wonder if Ahab's thinking, well, you know, he's probably right. I can't help Ahab's thinking this. Who do you think you're talking to? I'm the king. Elijah boldly told Ahab, don't blame me for what's here happened here. 
God brought this drought of judgment because of the people like you. You're the reason there was no rain. God has held back the rain because he, you have been forsaken by him. Because you forsook him. You turned to idol worship. And Elijah didn't back down one inch. I believe he stood toe-to-toe with King Ahab. He's right there in his face. Let me tell you. Now, what happens when we get in a confrontation like that? Did you ever notice a lot of times people don't confront other people like that? You know, really. Because usually when you're that hot and you're in a confrontation like that, usually what happens? Somebody's going to start throwing punches, aren't they? Usually, you know, you you confront someone. Well, let me tell you. I'm a little too close. Well, let me tell you. You know, we yell across the room at somebody. No, I think Elijah's right there, right in his face. Ahab had to be shown that God of heaven is supreme. Elijah was ready to prove it. Elijah proposed a plan and issued some orders. Now, I love this because Elijah gives the orders to the king. Now, therefore, Elijah says, send and gather all Israel to meet on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Now this is going to be a showdown. He said, bring all of Israel. Bring out the false prophets. 450 from Baal, 400 from Asherah. 850 false prophets of Baal. And they gathered at Mount Carmel to witness the showdown. One group was the general public, people from all over Israel. The other group was the prophets and priests of the false gods, Baal and Asherah. 850 and Elijah had two goals in mind. First, he wanted to win the people of Israel back to the one true God. And second, he wanted to remove the false prophets and priests from the land. And here we see the living God of heaven versus the false idols of man of earth. And who is in the majority? On one side, there are 450 false prophets, a Baal, a 400 of Asherah, all who ate at the king's table. And not only that, but we see the sons of Israel, Elijah's own countrymen, who followed these false gods. And on the other side, well... It was one, the prophet Elijah. But was Elijah alone? No. Oh, maybe they didn't see him, but I think God was standing right there with Elijah. In other words, it was Elijah and God. Now, how many wagers do you think wagers today would bid on the really big group or the one guy? Who's going to win this battle? Well, I don't doubt the best money. The, 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 what they were thinking, oh, you got to be kidding, this is not even a battle. We're going to put our money on the big group. <laughs> but if you're a betting person, you put your money on anybody who stands with God because God won't lose. And I'm here to tell you right now, that's the way it should be for us. When we're standing for God, we can stand alone as one and God on our side. We might be the only ones standing up for God. But it don't mean we're wrong when we stand with God and God is on our side. 
And it's essentially the same battle we face today as Christians. The names may have changed, but nothing else has. Faithful Christians who are standing on the word of God against the unbelievers of this age, with their, all their idols and their unfaithful brethren who have departed and deserted the truth. The key to the great confrontation is this. Having a divided allegiance is never acceptable to God. Having a divided allegiance is never acceptable to God. Are you on God's side or are you not on God's side? Here's a quote to remember. Riding the fence will give you more than splinters. And we can't ride the fence with God. God is not happy with that kind of thinking. Either we're on his side or we're not. In verse 21, Elijah came to all the people and he said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Elijah has some bold words for the people. How long will you hesitate between two opinions? You see, the strongest words that were given to the seven churches in the book of Revelation were given to the church in Laodicea in the third chapter of Revelation. The reason was clear. They were uncommitted. It says they were neither hot nor cold. And Jesus said, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now that's a kind word there, spew. <laughs> and the word really means I will vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, I find you totally disgusting. Elijah told the people of Israel to get off the fence of indecision. Either you were with God or you're against God, but you can't do both. And the funny thing is, they didn't say a word. And I can't help but think they're saying, no, Elijah, we like riding the fence. This way, we don't have to do anything. Now, do you ever find yourself in the same predicament? You want to say that God is the most important person in your life, but you are easily swayed and drawn away from that allegiance. Or you want God's blessing, but you also want people's approval. You want God's protection and provision, but you struggle to trust and let go. You want God's delivering power, but you cradle and nurse an addiction to something else. God's calling us today to make a choice and take a stand. It's time to truly be committed to God and to get all in with the Lord. Are we on the Lord's side or not? Just like Elijah asked the people. You see, we must stop hiding our love for and commitment to Christ. It is time to decide and to act. And when we see our nation moving with this ungodly cultural drift, we need to speak up. When we see a brother or sister in Christ making poor spiritual choices, we need to address it. Neutrality in the hour of decision is not what God demands from us. We must stop riding the fence and take a stand for God. You know, Paul once warned Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, 
doctrines of demons, and by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. You know, we must stand firm and strong against the forces of evil just as Elijah did on Mount Carmel. And here's the key, not compromise. Cannot compromise our faith, our stand for Jesus. All Psalm want us to, in this vernacular of today, it's called tolerance. We're to tolerate everybody. I don't see that anywhere in the scripture. Now, I believe I shouldn't go out there persecuting people because of what they believe. I'm not going to go out and persecute people because of whatever gender they choose to be. I'm not going to go out and persecute people because they don't believe the way I believe. But this I will do. I'm going to stand up and tell them when they're wrong based on God's word. I'm going to stand up and teach them about Jesus without persecuting them. But I'm not going to back down from what the scriptures teach me. As I said in Sunday school this morning, you may not like my approach. You may not like my character. You may not like my style of preaching. And that's okay. And you can criticize me for that all you want. That's fine. My style might not fit to what you think a preacher should be. But you're going to try to criticize me for preaching the word of God from this book as the word of God is supposed to be taught. Then I'm going to tell you you're going to have a fight on your hands. Because all I'm going to do is preach what God tells me through his word to preach. And I'm going to stand firm on that word even if I have to stand alone. That's what Elijah was doing, standing up for God, pointing out through the great confrontation Elijah's sin. Number two, it's going to come a point. We're going to have to challenge people with the word of God. You know, see, Elijah confronted them with the truth. He said, listen, how long will you remain lukewarm? How long will you hesitate and vacillate? You can't have it both ways. If the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Get on one side or the other. It's decision time, people. But the people didn't say a word. They didn't answer Elijah's challenge, nor did they argue with him. The easiest thing to do in the hour of decision is to remain uncommitted, to sit on the fence, and that's what they did. In other words, the people were silent. But Elijah wasn't deterred. Elijah stood there all alone, vastly outnumbered, but absolutely invincible in God's hands. He arrayed before him with the idol-worshiping, undecided people of the land, standing by their 850 priests and prophets of Baal and Asher. And I'm sure they're, they're feeling pretty bold at this point. Really, Elijah, we have 850 prophets and priests, and it's just you. You couldn't even find an army to bring. You couldn't even find some buddies to bring with you. It's just you. And no doubt there were idol shrines erected here and there across the summit of Mount Carmel as there were in most of the mountain peaks of Israel at the time. Nevertheless, Elijah wasn't afraid. He was God's man. He had a plan that they would be unable to ignore or forget. His plan would provide undeniable proof 
that the Lord God was the one true God. Listen to this. Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well. Do you hear that? All the people answered and said, it is well. In other words, oh, we like this plan. <laughs> We're going to show you, Elijah. You know, I think Elijah's plan was an ingenious one. It was shrewd, but fair and simple. Baal was worshipped as the god of the sun, which is the fire of the universe. And such a god would surely be able to start a simple fire, right? And Elijah's plan would provide a reasonable test of the power of the rival deities. And the people were silent before now, but now they speak up. Oh, Elijah, that's a great plan. That's a great plan. Let's, let's do it, Elijah. You're going to lose this so bad. Our God is the God of the Son. Verse 25, And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourself, prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us! But there was no voice. No one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they had made. Think about it. The prophets of Baal followed Elijah's plan and carried it out, all his instructions. And when they called upon Baal, nothing happened. And from early morning until noon, they cried out, Oh, Baal answered us, but nothing happened. So try to picture the prophets going from uh, going through their usual incantations and dances with growing desperation as the time passed without a response from their God. And they're jumping up and down in frenzy, crying out, begging and pleading, trying to attract Baal's attention. Now, that must have been something to behold. I can't help but think if, you know, old Elijah's maybe kicked back, sitting against a stone, or maybe he's propped up. Really? have been doing this for four hours. This is hilarious. I hope somebody's videotaping this. This will look good on YouTube. <laughs> if we had YouTube. <laughs> Think about it. That's crazy. Now, if you don't think there is any humor in the Bible, just take a look at what happened next. Here's some humorous things. In verse 27, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. <laughs> Can you think, Elijah's standing there, and he starts to mock them. 
after enduring all this for several hours, hey, hey, maybe you're not calling out loud enough. Maybe he's hard of hearing, or maybe he's busy, or he's sleeping, or traveling. Now the word traveling here suggests some other possible overtones, including, well, maybe your God is using the celestial men's room. Maybe he just can't come because he's taking a long time in the bathroom. Louder! <laughs> I wonder if Lodge is thinking, God, are you seeing this? This is so funny. But now, it's time for Elijah to respond. So they cried aloud. And then they started cutting themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And it was so when midday was past that they prophesied until the time of the offering and the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. The prophets of Baal shouted until they were hoarse, dancing in their altar dance until their feet hurt, mutilated their bodies with bloodletting. They did this from morning until evening, but their God never answered, didn't respond. Picture them finally giving up, falling down in the dust, panting, bleeding in total exhaustion, utter humiliation, and it says, and no one paid attention. All the Israel's out there. And the prophets are dropping one by one. They are wore out and no one pays attention. Now the key to the grand challenge is this. Simple. Prayer. It's prayer. Prayer is powerful because God is powerful. When you and I are going to confront, when we're making the great challenge, we just need to pray. Why did the false prophets fail? They failed not because they didn't pray or didn't believe, but because they prayed to the wrong person and believed in the wrong person. Baal had no power. Baal is a no god. <laughs> we talked about that in Sunday school this morning. He's a no god. No God and people that follow no gods are no people. They needed to rise up for God, the God, not their no God. And God, the God we pray to is all-powerful. His power is beyond our imagination. There's a story told of a 24-year-old Canadian named Danny Simpson. And he was sentenced to six years in jail for robbing a bank at gunpoint. He got away with $6,000. That's it. The interesting thing about the story is that the gun he used in the robbery had ended up in a Canadian museum. The gun he used in the robbery is an antique 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic made in 1918. The pistol itself is worth $100,000. So if Danny had known the value of the gun he held in his hand, then he wouldn't have robbed a bank and ended up in jail for a measly $6,000. If only we had a better estimation of the power of our God and power of the prayers we offer to him, God has placed great power in our hands through prayer. Is there somebody out there you're trying to share the word of God to? I suggest you pray. Pray for God to 
open up doors. Pray for God to make it possible for you to share with them. I've told you many times, you don't have to know a huge part about the Bible. You just have to know how God is and what God has done for you. Share your testimony with them. Invite them to come with you. Then it gives me an opportunity to teach them. And as I've told you many times, if they ask you a question you don't know, that's an open door. You can easily say, I don't really know, but tell you what, I'm going to research it and get back to you. There's your open door to the next meeting. A question you can't answer isn't a negative thing. That's a positive thing. And then it gives you more opportunity to pray for that person and pray for you to be able to share the gospel with them. You see, unfortunately, rather than being the first thing we turn to, prayer is often our last resort. Prayer is something we should all be personally convicted and challenged by. I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself these questions. How committed am I to prayer? How much time do I deliberately set aside for prayer? How ready am I to pray when someone mentions a need? And do I drop everything and turn to prayer when it is needed? My friend, old friend Larry Johnson. Larry Johnson was a state policeman. But Larry Johnson was a state policeman on the evac helicopters. And so when they get a call, it was always something really bad. And Larry told me this, Tom, he goes, this is what I do. Once I got in the helicopter and I heard what we were going for, so I was prepared to take care of whatever was on the scene, the first thing I did was pray. He said, I would pray. Pray for me to have the knowledge to be able to help them. Pray for them that we would get there in time to be able to get them to the hospital and so on and so forth. Pray for their family. Whatever the situation, he said, that was always my first thought, to pray for them. Then when I got on scene and trying to take care of them, I would have prayed for them again. I always hate when somebody says, you know, we've tried everything else. I guess we should pray. <laughs> and we're not going to find success in that kind of thinking. Well, if we're going to try all this, we probably should pray first. You see, James reminds us, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And Elijah was a man just like us. And look at what happened when he prayed to the Lord. Because then we see the great confrontation. We see the grand challenge. And then we have to see the glorious climax. The false prophets of Baal failed to contact their God. Despite all their ranting and raving, scratching and screaming, Nothing. At this dramatic juncture, Elijah stepped forward, and it was his turn. And he knew that God would come through with an ultimate demonstration of power. It says in verse 30, And Elijah said to the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And one of the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sails of seed. And he put the wood in the order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and said, Now, this is interesting. Elijah's going to change. Elijah's going to change the whole plan here for him. Here's what he says. Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice on the wood. And he said, now do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, now do it a third time. 
They did it a third time. And the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Now, he didn't do that to Baal's, just his own. He soaked it in water three times. I mean, the water's running, fills the trench. It's running all over. What can't you do to wood when it's wet? <laughs> you can't light it, can you? Now, I imagine they're thinking, how in the world is he going to start a fire and burn up that? He's God. You really? This is crazy. The main point was this. That was a lot of water. Soaked into wood. Filled the trench. And if you're wondering where did they get the water during a drought. you ever wonder that? You might be, wait, where did they get all that water? It's a drought. Well, this is the answer. Mount Carmel sits right next to the Mediterranean Sea. So that had plenty of water. He just sent them down there to fill up the water barrels and bring them back. So all the preparations were completed. It was time for Elijah to make his request of God. And we see the true power of prayer. Verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering and the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day to, that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord and God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And Elijah's prayer was a simple one, but it was a prayer of faith. There was no pleading or screaming, no shouting or frenzied dancing. His prayer was just a plainly spoken request that God would prove to all them and he alone is Lord. And the contrast was stunning and the response was immediate. In verse 38 it says, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God! The Lord, he is God! No wonder! They had to be scared out of their minds. You think about it. This was an experience like they'd never seen before. God answers Elijah's prayer immediately with spectacular display. Now I'm sure there's a blinding flash, a thunderous sound. The water in the trench was vaporized like a drop of water dropped on a hot frying pan. Nothing was left of the offering or the honor or just a pile of ashes. And the miraculous display turned the hearts of the people back to God. The, the pendulum of allegiance immediately swung to the God of Elijah. You think about it. It was so hot, it says it burned up the stones. When God makes a fire, nothing's left. There's nothing left. And it says in verse 40, And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Some may read that verse and say, what an extreme response. But what we need to realize is the prophets of Baal were an immoral, hostile, anti-God malignancy in the land of Israel. And like the surgeon who treats a malignant tumor with immediate radical surgery, Elijah called on the people to act immediately to rid this deadly spiritual influence. The result is amazing. Fire from heaven, everything consumed. Zap! 
God's response is immediate, instantaneous, and spectacular. The key to the glorious climax is one person can make a difference for God. One person can make a difference for God. It says in James chapter 5 regarding this same thing right here. James 5 verses 16 through 18. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Now, under, never underestimate the power of one life totally dedicated to God. It's amazing what one life totally devoted to God can do. Elijah was a man standing all alone. He was overwhelmingly outnumbered by a hostile king, the king's wicked wife, 850 pagan prophets, and countless numbers of unbelieving Israelites. And nevertheless, all of them were silenced and brought under the control of this one dedicated man of God. Each one of us who live a life dedicated to the Lord can have a profound influence on others. You may be the only person in your family, your workplace, your school, who's a Christian, but you can have an influence nonetheless. You may be the only person who stands up and refuses to go along with something that is wrong, but don't underestimate the influence you can have. It takes courage to be the only boy or girl, man or woman, sticking out in a crowd. I sat in on a jury. I was selected for a jury on a felony armed uh, gun control. Gun, a felon was close to a gun. Possession, that's the word I'm looking for. And I got selected to sit on that jury trial. And then the other jurors chose me as the captain. We sat in after hearing the trial all morning. We went and had lunch, and then we had to discuss. And we read the law one more time, and I went around the room. Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Seven not guilty is one guilty. It's like, wait a minute, we can't go out of here with seven and one. It has to be eight. Oh. So we asked the young lady who stood out as I'm just not going to plead guilty, not guilty to end this. Because I asked, do you want to change your plea or your, your verdict? She said, no. And this is why. And she spoke her mind. And everybody's looking at her like, come on, we want to go home. We can end this real fast. She said, he's guilty. So we started to chat. We read the law again and again, as the judge told us to. And we started to talk. And then somebody said, you know, now that I hear it that way and to think about it, he's guilty. Well, now we have two guilties. When it was all said and done, we had eight guilties. 
And he was guilty. Just the way we took the law being read in the testimony, at first we all thought he was not guilty but one. Had she not stood up, we'd have left a convict back out on the street. He went back to jail to serve three more years. Because on parole, he broke his parole. He was in possession of the weapon. Although it wasn't in his possession, it sat right next to him on the table. And that's within possession because he could reach it. But you see, there's someone who was willing to stand on firmly for what she believed was right. Now that's just secular. What about when we stand up for God? You see, God works through frail people like us when our hearts are completely his. And God will not reject us. God will not leave us alone. It might not be popular. It might not be a popular decision, you standing alone. And I'm not going to tell you it'll turn out every time the way you want it. But I guarantee you one you will not disappoint. And that's God. God's right there with you. We're going to see, oh, this was a grand moment for Elijah, wasn't it? But we'll see something happen next week that maybe we just didn't expect. Let me give you a little hint. Elijah goes on a really long run because of what Jezebel says. And then God has to help him out of a predicament. you don't know Jesus yet as your Lord and Savior, he's waiting for you. He wants to stand with you. He died on that cross for you. And he wants you to accept him. Love lifted me as our hymn of invitation this morning. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, I invite you to come. I'd like to sit with you some more and show you through the scriptures how you could become a Christian for him. If you'd stand with me, 317, love lives in me, we'll do verses 1 and 3. All the safety deeds with sin are the peaceful shore. Fairies deeply stained with him, seeking to rise and
today for your time of fellowship. And we're about to enjoy the meal. May it be an encouragement to us, a time of prayer. May it always be uplifting to pray. Lord, taking the Lord's Supper this morning and hearing the Word of God. What a blessing today has been. We pray for your continued care upon us. When we leave today, help us to be safe and help us to continue to be that shining light for you. Regardless, Lord, that we might stand alone, help us to stand alone knowing you are always with us and we may share the Word of God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from our evangelist, Tom Schof. Our prayer is that each of you, after hearing the truth of God's word today, have been encouraged, enlightened, and challenged by the truth of the gospel message. Our prayer is that each of you will know Christ in a very deeper manner by hearing these messages. And should you have a question concerning your faith, your trust in God, your relationship, even your salvation, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.chieflandchristianchurch.org. That's www.chieflandchristianchurch.org. Or you can email us at ccchiefland at gmail.com, and we'll be glad to get back with you. Don't forget this message has been brought to you by Anchor FM, the free platform that is designed to make it simple and easy for you to create your own podcast, just like this one. Anchor FM, you can download it today at their website, anchor.fm, and enjoy this exciting new platform. <laughs>